0: Hey, I'm Christopher Schiefling. This is Auscultation, a podcast in search of a humanities-based practice of healthcare. Thanks so much for joining. Today, we're listening to excerpts from the South by Jorge Luis Borges, an Argentinian author most known for his cunning and philosophical short stories. In the following passage, Borges gives a haunting and clinically accurate account of critical illness which is based in part on his own experience with sepsis after an infected head injury. Excerpts from the South by Jorge Luis Borges Fever wasted him, and the pictures in the Thousand and One Nights served to illustrate nightmares. Friends and relatives paid him visits and, with exaggerated smiles, assured him that they thought he looked fine. Dallman listened to them with a kind of feeble stupor, and he marveled at their not knowing that he was in hell. A week, eight days passed, and they were like eight centuries. One afternoon, the usual doctor appeared, accompanied by a new doctor, and they carried him off to a sanitarium on the Calle Ecuador, for it was necessary to x ray him. When he arrived at his destination, they undressed him, shaved his head, bound him with metal fastenings to a stretcher, they shone bright lights on him until he was blind and dizzy, auscultated him, and a mass man stuck a needle into his arm. He awoke with a feeling of nausea, covered with a bandage, in a cell with something of a well about it. In the days and nights which followed the operation, he came to realize that he had merely been, up until then, in a suburb of hell. Ice in his mouth did not leave the least trace of freshness. During these days, Dalman hated himself in minute detail. He hated his identity, his bodily necessities, his humiliation, the beard which bristled up on his face. He stoically endured the curative measures, which were painful, but when the surgeon told him he had been on the point of death from septicemia, Dalman dissolved in tears of self-pity for his fate. Physical wretchedness and the incessant anticipation of horrible nights had not allowed him time to think of anything so abstract as death. Some Thoughts on Symptoms of Critical Illness In this short passage, Dalman experiences an overwhelming array of symptoms. When is at home, fever wasted him, and he suffers from nightmares, and a kind of feeble stupor. In these first three sentences, Borges presents the two types of delirium, the hyperactive form with his hallucinations, and the hypoactive form with his stupor. And by including these two types in quick succession, he alludes to an essential component of delirium, its fluctuating course. In these short lines, Borges gives enough clinically relevant details to make a DSM-5 diagnosis of delirium. The prevalence of delirium in the ICU ranges from 20 to 50% and is a poor prognostic indicator associated with increased mortality and worsening cognitive impairment. Consistent with this, we later hear that Dahlman was, quote, on the point of death. What is not considered in the DSM-5, or other clinical assessments for that matter, is Dahlman's sensation of time. We hear that a week, eight days passed, and they were like eight centuries. While the distortion of time is quite common in critical illness, I have never once asked a patient about their experience with this and I realize that symptoms I ask about are generally limited to those with medical treatments available. It makes me wonder what other types of suffering go unnoticed. While there is abundant research on treatments and outcomes of persons with critical illness, there is relatively little investigation of patients' experiences with such severe illness. After the surgery, he has post-operative nausea, and ice in his mouth did not leave a trace of freshness. The phrasing of this last line conjures up so many things. It can mean that he has dry mouth, and also that he may not have been able to brush his teeth during this time. Additionally, getting ice chips suggests that he is not allowed to eat or drink anything else, so is likely to be both hungry and thirsty. This last interpretation is supported by a passage later in the story, where he, quote, ordered a cup of coffee, slowly stirred the sugar, sipped it. This pleasure had been denied him in the clinic. Patients in the hospital are often unable to eat or drink for prolonged periods, either because they need surgery or might need surgery. Their diet is also restricted if they have problems swallowing, which is quite common with critical illness because they are at risk of pneumonia from aspiration with eating or drinking. Making someone, quote, NPO or keeping them from eating is so common in the hospital that it is easy for me to forget how uncomfortable it can be. We then hear this devastating depiction. During these days, Delman hated himself in minute detail. He hated his identity his bodily necessities, his humiliation, the beard which bristled up on his face. Most patients who are critically ill are physically unable to go to the bathroom, so must use a bedpan and or catheters, and usually with assistance. On top of this, bathing and grooming are a rarity, and hospital gowns make everyone look sick. It is no wonder Dalman experienced such existential distress. I love that Borges rounds off this image of self-hatred with the indignity of the beard which bristled up. Not only does the bristling invoke physical irritation, but the masking of his face is a manifestation of his altered identity. He has been reduced to a patient, confined to the sick role. It is always astonishing and refreshing to see a patient who is finally able to shave after weeks in the hospital. It is remarkable that a mention of pain only appears towards the end of the passage and almost as an afterthought. Borges writes, He stoically endured the curative measures, which were painful. Curiously, it is not pain that makes Dalman's experience with critical illness a hell. He can endure pain. It is the host of other symptoms and indignities of being in the hospital that are our hell Why does the ICU have such good air circulation? Because of all events. Some thoughts on iatrogenesis. While Dalman's illness causes significant suffering, as much, if not more distress comes from the delivery of health care itself. Iatrogenesis refers to such harms that come from the treatments rather than the disease. This ranges from medical errors to expected side effects to the burdens of being in the hospital, which Borges emphasizes in this passage. Once Stallman arrives at the sanitarium, many things happen to him in rapid succession in one prolonged sentence. They undressed him, shaved his head, bound him with metal fastenings to a stretcher. They shone bright lights on him until he was blind and dizzy, auscultated him, and a masked man stuck a needle into his arm. The staccato pacing of each of these briefly described actions creates a jarring sense of haste and coarseness that is common with the initial triage of patients with critical illness. This sentence also highlights his passivity. He undergoes all these rather aggressive actions with no comment on his response, which is noteworthy since the omniscient narrator usually delivers a vivid description of Dalman's feelings. Although it could be that he is completely dissociated at this stage of his illness, another interpretation is that his experience of these interventions is irrelevant. Additionally, there is a strong sense of anonymity. He only sees an ominous day and a mass man. His usual doctor and all his visitors are gone and don't appear during his time in the sanatorium. Finally, he doesn't appear to understand what is happening. Abruptly, we hear that he wakes up covered with a bandage and only later learn that he had an operation. Through clever use of style, in a single sentence, Borges conveys the harsh and bewildering experience of severe illness. We then hear that his hospital room is a cell with something of a well about it. The room itself contributes to a sense of being a prisoner, a frequent sentiment of patients in the hospital, The impression of being at the bottom of a well also conveys images of darkness, chill, and isolation. It hardly seems like a place for recovery. This was written in the 1950s, so the incessant beeping of an intrusive ICU technology had not yet arrived, but to a modern reader, the simile of an echoing well may ring these bells. Lastly, we learn that the curative measures are painful. The use of the word measures makes me think of the full range of painful treatments we give in the hospital. From surgeries to dressing changes, from jugular IV lines to noxaparin injections, from 4am phlebotomy to 4 times a day blood glucose checks, from being NPO, as previously mentioned, to nausea-inducing polypharmacy. While do no harm is often cited as a principal tenet of healthcare, most of our treatments come with a certain degree of suffering. Of course, the sentiment behind this aphorism is that the benefits of treatments should outweigh their harms. But phrasing this as do no harm encourages health professionals to ignore the suffering associated with treatments. What would be a better name for the ICU? I see your monitors. Some thoughts on illness communication. As is often the case, the story illustrates the frequent misunderstandings around serious illness. First, we see family and friends tell Dahlman he is fine with, quote, exaggerated smiles, which suggests that they know he is not well, but are trying to protect him, themselves, or both. It is common for families and friends to wish to hide the severity of illness from patients out of concern that this will cause them to lose hope or lead to undue distress. The predominant value of patient autonomy in the current U.S. healthcare system resists concealing information. But in the 60s and 70s, Clinicians regularly did not disclose a cancer diagnosis if they did not believe it would help the patient. This miscommunication goes both ways. Dahlman also does not convey the extent of his distress. When his visitors told him he looked fine, he marveled at their not knowing he was in hell, but he does not seem to correct their misunderstanding. Additionally, in the sanatorium, He stoically endured the curative measures. One of the features of the so-called good patient is to quietly endure suffering, especially when distress comes from the treatments themselves. Many patients with metastatic cancer tell me they don't want to, quote, be a complainer, and others have worried that expressing the true extent of their pain will be interpreted as an exaggeration or worse as drug-seeking behavior. Finally, even the communication from the clinicians seems to be lacking or misleading. The stated reason for going to the sanatorium is that it was necessary to x-ray him. This is a prime example of clinical equivocation. By focusing on technical details, the doctors avoid telling him the reason for the x-ray is that he is seriously ill. Similarly, as described before, he does not seem to know he is going to have surgery, and it is only after he is recovering that he is told he almost died. It is possible that he was told what was happening with both his transfer to the sanatorium and the operation, but didn't fully understand because of confusion from his illness. As the narrator describes, physical wretchedness and the incessant anticipation of horrible nights had not allowed him time to think of anything so abstract as death. How much patients can and should know of critical illness is an active question that resists simple answers. Excerpts from the South by Jorge Luis Borges Fever wasted him, and the pictures in the thousand and one nights served to illustrate nightmares. Friends and relatives paid him visits, and, with exaggerated smiles, assured him that they thought he looked fine. Dalman listened to them with a kind of feeble stupor, and he marveled at their not knowing that he was in hell. A week, eight days passed, and they were like eight centuries. One afternoon, the usual doctor appeared, accompanied by a new doctor, and they carried him off to a sanitarium on the Calle Ecuador, for it was necessary to x-ray him. When he arrived at his destination, they undressed him, shaved his head, bound him with metal fastenings to a stretcher, they shone bright lights on him until he was blind and dizzy, auscultated him, and a mass man stuck a needle into his arm. He awoke with a feeling of nausea, covered with a bandage, in a cell with something of a well about it. In the days and nights which followed the operation, he came to realize that he had merely been, up until then, in a suburb of hell. Ice in his mouth did not leave the least trace of freshness. During these days, Dalman hated himself in minute detail. He hated his identity his bodily necessities, his humiliation, the beard which bristled up on his face. He stoically endured the curative measures, which were painful, but when the surgeon told him he had been on the point of death from septicemia, Dolman dissolved in tears of self-pity for his fate. Physical wretchedness and the incessant anticipation of horrible nights had not allowed him time, to think of anything so abstract as death. The Self by Jorge Luis Borges and translated by Andrew Hurley was published in 1998. You can find show notes for this episode at anauscultation.wordpress.com and you can send comments, suggestions, and questions to the Twitter handle, at or to the email, anauscultation at gmail is produced and recorded on the ancestral home of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, or share to help others find out about us too. Until next month, be kind and live the questions.